Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. Oh, man. I don't know why I let my friends put me up to this stuff, but... What's up, College Info Geekers? This is Thomas Franken. This is the College Info Geek Podcast, where we're going to learn about being awesome and not sucking. Yeah. So, welcome to episode three. I was put up to say something stupid. I did. That's past us. Let's move forward. Okay. So, if you listened to last episode with my interview with Leo Viedreich, awesome guy, great insights, you would notice that that was an interview, and the episode before that was a solo thing. So here's episode number three. This is also going to be a solo episode. So if you don't know, I'm going to be jumping back and forth with each episode. One episode will be solo. One episode will be an interview with an awesome person that I think you need to hear from or that I just want to talk to myself and force you to listen to. You can deal with that. Anyway, hopefully you've been enjoying the content that I've been putting out so far. I plan to be even awesomer in the future. I'm going to get better at this and we're going to have a great time. By the way, if you are listening to this podcast in iTunes, subscribing to it, I would love it if you could go into iTunes and give me a rating or review, tell me what you think, love to get the feedback, and also it just helps in the rankings. So, anyway, let's get into the real content of this episode. So I was playing Saints Row 3 today, beating up some guys with my dildo bat and whatever, and I thought, maybe I could do a podcast on how to not get your car beat up by a dildo bat. But that's not too realistic. But, going with this idea of security and keeping yourself safe, I was thinking, what sort of security-related podcast episode could I do in that area? And the thing I thought of right away is keeping yourself secure online. So, don't click away just yet. I know online security isn't the most nice and fun topic in the world. It's not like how to get a job and make a million dollars and get all the girls to like you or whatever. But it's super important because if you get attacked online these days, your internet identity, it intertwines a lot with your real life. And if that gets screwed up, then your life gets screwed up and you're having a hard time. So let's learn how to not be dumb on the internet. Okay, we're going to talk about SQL injection and cross site scripting and heuristics and AES and Kerberos and reverse procs. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about any of that. Actually, I'm just going to go into some simple techniques that you can use to keep your online life secure. Because if you're like most college students, your online life is about as secure as Fort Knox during an EMP blast with all doors open. So this shit is important, okay? You're going to get to the point in your life where your online life actually probably plays a big role in how well you do in your real life. For me, I'm at that point now, and i got to make sure my stuff is locked down. You're probably at that point too, and it's only going to get more integrated into the future. So let's get into talking about how you can keep yourself secure on the internet, make sure people don't steal your stuff, 
don't break in and ruin your stuff, or don't use your platforms to say something you don't want to say, because there's a lot that can happen that you don't expect. And if you want an example, just look at the Wired writer, Matt Hone. He got attacked because people wanted to take his Twitter name. Yeah, he's one of those few people that has a three-letter Twitter name, just at Matt, I think. And so some hackers wanted to take this guy's Twitter name just for fun. And what they did to get to Twitter was ruin all of his other accounts. They started at Amazon. They were able to break into his Apple account. They erased his iPad, his iPhone, his MacBook. They were able to break into that and get all of his other passwords that way just to get his Twitter account. And if he had done a few of the things that I'm going to show you in today's podcast, that would have never happened. Okay, so let's break down the content we're going to get into in this podcast. I'm going to keep it simple and I'm going to keep it concise because this could be an entire class, which actually it is and I'm currently in. We only have about 30 to 45 minutes here, so I'm going to stick to a few concise subjects, give you some really actionable content you can go and implement into your life today and you can do some further research later or ask me anything you want if you want to get further into it so we're going to talk about passwords is that exciting maybe not but it's important and i won't talk too long about them but we're going to look into some ways to keep your life secure and also make it so you don't have to become rain man and memorize a bunch of complex stuff we're going to talk about two-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication is something you may not have heard of, but it is something that is integral to my life and something I believe is absolutely essential for anybody using the internet today for anything other than browsing Reddit. We're going to talk about encryption, and we're going to talk about a few other just small tips that I think are essential for you to keep yourself secure, you know, things you might not think of when you think of the topic of online security. So let's get right into it by talking about those little dots in the fields you always fill out every time you sign up for an account on a forum. Passwords. That's right. So you've probably heard the old advice to not use the same password for everything. And I'd be willing to guess that at least half of you know that and still use the same password. And let me tell you why that's a terrible idea. A password is only as good as the most or the least secure place you use it in. Now let me explain that. Even if nobody ever gets your password from you, which is very possible to happen, but even if nobody ever gets your password from you, say you use the same password that you have for your Amazon account or your credit card account or your bank. Use that same password on some janky forum somewhere you want to download some music from or some image sharing site. Some place that may not have like industry standard security requirements and may not be coded amazingly well. Say a hacker breaks in and they figure out how their passwords are hashed or how their passwords are scrambled and steals that file with all the passwords in it. If they are able to decrypt it and get that password, they now have your password attached to your email address and they can go to every other place on the web and try it. And if they're the same then they're into all the super secure places they never had to hack in the first place. So basically the biggest thing, if you take nothing else away from this podcast is make sure you have a different password for the different accounts you use online. Now, some of you might be saying, well, dude, I can't like memorize 50,000 passwords in my head. I'm not like a genius or anything. And that's okay because I'm not a genius either. But luckily there are things called password managers. So, 
you haven't heard of this, it's basically a program where you put your online accounts into it, you write down your passwords, and usually they can autofill the passwords in whenever you want to log into somewhere. So actually, it ends up being faster than just logging in yourself, but it also ends up being more secure because you're able to make a different password for every account. The password manager I use is LastPass, and there are a lot of other ones out there that are good, like PassPack, KeyPass, 1Password, but I prefer LastPass because it has a very, very nice browser extension that will auto-log in for you, and it's free. If you want to go premium, it's like a dollar a month, so it's incredibly cheap. I think I went premium. I don't remember what the benefits are, but it's super cheap, unlike something like 1Password, which is incredibly expensive. So I'll put the link to LastPass in the show notes if you're interested in it. Basically, every time you go to a website, it'll ask, do you want to save the data you use to log in? And you can say yes. And every time you're setting up for a new website, it'll give you the option to generate a random password that's very secure. And it'll save that password in the account so you never have to even know what it is. To be honest, I don't know the password to 90% of my online accounts. I don't. I have them all on my LastPass and they log in for me and it's easy. So all I have to remember is the last pass password. Now that's not the only password I have to remember. And I want to talk about the one other password you need to remember if you do set up a last pass account, which is your email password. So whatever email accounts you use to sign up for an online account, that is the email account that will be used if you ever have to initiate a password reset. So say, uh, for example, let's do a relevant example. A meteor comes in to the Earth's atmosphere and hits LastPass's servers and destroys them all. Now, LastPass probably has servers spread out across the planet, so it's probably not going to happen. But just say, for some reason, everything LastPass ever had just goes kaput and you didn't have a backup. The way you can reset your passwords on all your online accounts is by initiating password resets, which goes to your email. So you need to know the password to your email account as well so you can get in and do those password resets in that case of disaster. So like Batman, you always need to have a backup plan. Now I mentioned exporting your data. Now LastPass does let you export data, which I think is a very good idea to do because if all your passwords somehow get screwed up or LastPass goes out of business, you at least have a backup somewhere and you'll be able to know what your passwords are. LastPass has blog posts that explain how you can export your data and then put it in like a local KeyPass database or an encrypted Excel file. Um, KeyPass is an open source password manager that only runs on your computer. It's not an internet extension. So you could keep your passwords backed up in something like that. It'd be just as secure and it'd be on your own local storage. So if you're going to encrypt it in an Excel file, just realize that Excel files, even if you have a password on them, they're not quite as secure as a KeyPass database. So hide it in a zip file or something. So remember there, the passwords you have to remember include your LastPass password and your email password. Now, if you export all your passwords from LastPass and then go to a KeyPass database, you probably want to memorize the password from that as well. So yeah, and then I guess you kind of need another password to your computer. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to log in and a manager is not going to do it for you. So what if you're saying, I don't want to use a manager, I don't trust external services, I just want to kind of do my own thing. Well, there is one other technique that is a lot more secure than having one password for everything. It's not quite as secure as having a different password for every account, but it's better than nothing. And that, that technique is called password tiers. So basically the idea is you have 
multiple tiers of passwords for different types of online accounts. At the top, you'll have your banking, you'll have Amazon, anything having to deal with your money, your school, super important shit, and you're going to have a really, really secure you know, password for only those kind of accounts, and you'll never, ever use that password for random stuff. And then the second tier would be slightly less important sites, but still important, so you'd want to create a pretty secure password for that that you don't use on random stuff. And then the bottom, you could just have a random password for accounts that wouldn't be very, um, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a big thing if they got hacked, like a forum password or something. You know, you it would suck to get hacked, but it wouldn't ruin your life. So you could have these tiers. And my friend Martin actually wrote a, a blog post on College Info Geek about this technique, which is what he used to use. So it can be very effective. I personally recommend using a password manager, but it's better than nothing. So that's that's really all I want to talk about with passwords. There's a lot of other things you could go into when it comes to you know what it should be, but you can read up on that and I'll link to some resources in the show notes that can show you that. And by the way, if you want to get the show notes, you can go to collegeinfogeek.com slash cast. That's where the show notes are. And I will have, uh, you'll have to click on the episode link and then I'll have links to everything I mentioned in this podcast episode. You can go and frolic about doing research on the internet to make your life more secure, which is great. So moving on to the next topic, I want to talk about two-factor authentication because let's face it, no matter how good your passwords are, passwords are starting to become a less and less secure form of authentication on the internet. Basically, computers are getting better and hackers are finding more and more techniques to break passwords or to get in and go around them. So let's talk about two-factor authentication. This is a great way to augment your security. It's not available on a ton of websites, but the ones that it is, I highly recommend uh, basically enabling it on. So the idea behind this is you have two forms of authentication to get into account, your password and then your phone. And on your phone, for most of these sites, you'll have an app like Google Authenticator, which has a time-based code that generates one code every minute. So whenever you want to log in, you type your password and then it'll say, now type in the code that you see in your phone. And that code is only good for a minute. So the algorithm takes whatever time it is right now and jumbles it up with a bunch of other stuff and spits out a code. So you take the code on your phone and put it in. That code is unique to your phone only. And then you get in. Um, Lifehacker talked about all the sites that you need to enable two-factor authentication on if you want to be the most secure, but I'm just going to tell you the ones that I use it on right now, so you can go enable it if you use it on these sites as well. Number one, your Google account. Obviously, if Google Authenticator is an app developed by Google, they're going to have their own form of two-factor authentication for their accounts. Now, your Google account is huge, and it's only going to get bigger in the future. You have your Gmail, you have your YouTube, Google Plus is in that, and everything, you know, everything associated with Google goes back to your Google account, and it's hugely important that you keep that secure, especially if you have something like Google Wallet, where your financial data is in there as well. So if you go up in the right corner of any Google app, and you click your picture, and then you go to account settings, you can head into the security part and set up two-factor authentication, and there are multiple ways to do this. If you have an iPhone or an Android phone, you can download the Google Authenticator app, it will give you a code to input into the app to create that instance of the two-factor authentication. 
and you're good to go. If you don't have a smartphone or you just don't want to use the app, you can just do it through SMS where it will text you the code every time you want to log in. That works as well. Now, say you are using two-factor authentication on something and you lose your phone. What do you do? The cool thing about this is Google gives you the option to print out a set of one-time passwords. So if you ever have trouble logging in, you don't have your phone on you at the time, you can use a one-time password that generated to log you in one time. And once you do it, that password no longer works. So when you set this up, you definitely are going to want to print out a set of these one-time passwords and keep them in a secure place. Uh, maybe in a file on your desk, or I put them just in an encrypted text note. Just have them available in case something goes wrong. All right, other accounts that let you enable two-factor authentication include LastPass, as I mentioned before. So if you have every single one of your passwords and email addresses and online usernames in a password manager, you're going to want that manager to be ridiculously secure. And having two-factor authentication on there is a big step to making sure it's secure. So that way, even if someone finds out your master password and they're just you know laughing maniacally because now they have access to everything, they aren't going to be able to log into your account unless they somehow steal your phone as well. So definitely enable it on LastPass. Dropbox is another one that has it. Um, Dropbox is incredibly important, especially if you're if you're using Dropbox for anything sensitive, your tax data, uh, you know, even homework. Basically, if you don't want Dropbox to be compromised, then enable it on Dropbox as well. Facebook does have a form of two-factor authentication, but it's only through SMS and it's not um, compatible with Google Authenticator, obviously. So it's kind of an annoying thing. I honestly don't use it on Facebook, but it is available. So if you are concerned about your Facebook's security, you can enable that. And then PayPal. If you do any sort of business through PayPal, then you should enable the two-factor authentication there. Now, PayPal is also an SMS only, so you'll have to use uh, text messaging through that. But super useful thing. If you're getting money through there, then definitely enable it. Now, those are not the only accounts uh, that you could have that are uh, two-factor authentication enabled. Those are the ones I use, but I will link to the Lifehacker article in the show notes that uh, where Wits and Gordon goes over all the different online accounts where you should have it enabled. So check out the show notes and read that article to make sure you are locked down. Two-factor authentication is a concept that can be applied to real life, not just online accounts. So if you think about it, basically having two forms of identity needed to get into something is a way to keep things secure. So you could use the example of sex. Like the birth control pill is 91 to 99% effective to make sure you won't get pregnant if you're a girl. You know, so nine times out of 10, it's going to work. A condom is 82 to 98% effective. And as a natural realist, I'm going to go ahead and say the 82 is where I'm putting my money. So eight times out of 10, it'll protect you. But if you guys are using both, then the chances of getting pregnant are absolutely, or not absolutely, but virtually nil. So it's like a billion percent effective. So that's two-factor authentication. Uh, It also applies to facts going into your brain. So if somebody says something to you and you might think they have a vested interest in lying to you, 
or you're just not sure, then if you go and verify that with somebody else, that's a form of two-factor authentication to making sure that you trust the facts that are going into your noggin. It's good stuff. Okay, so two-factor authentication is down, passwords are down, you're well on your way to being a much more secure person on the internet, much less of a chance of getting hacked. Let's talk about encryption. So this is a really important topic if you are using Dropbox or some other sort of cloud-based storage to keep all your files in the cloud, which I definitely recommend because if you're not using Dropbox, then you're probably resorting to thumb drives. And if you lose that somewhere, you lose all your work. You know, if you go to class and you forget to print off a paper, if you have a Dropbox account, you can easily log in. So Dropbox is amazing. I love it. I'm even going to put a link to Dropbox in the show notes because I love it so much. So check it out. But Dropbox is not infallible. No cloud storage solution is infallible because it is in the cloud. It is on the internet. And that means it is accessible from everywhere. So there's always a possibility that Dropbox itself could get hacked. Or like what happened about a year ago, I think, Dropbox actually had a bug in their system where if you type in the email address of anybody, you would be able to get into their account without a password. And that was... Uh, that bug was available to use for four minutes. So for four minutes, anybody could get into your account. Now they have since fixed that bug and I'm sure they have learned from that mistake, but it goes to show that no system is perfect. So where does encryption come into that? Basically, if you encrypt your files into an encrypted, you know, encrypted container file, then even if your Dropbox was hacked, nobody would be able to access your files because they're already locked into their own little container. So you're probably asking yourself, how do I encrypt a file? I don't know how to do that. I'm not a hacker or whatever. That's okay. Because there's a program called TrueCrypt. And I will link to that in the show notes as well, which makes it very, very easy to generate your own encrypted drive, which you can then mount to your computer and put your password in to get to your files. So you can download TrueCrypt. And when you create your file, you will generate a password, you'll generate a file size. And then after you go through the process, you'll just have that file in your Dropbox. And to anybody else, that file is just a useless piece of junk of however many megabytes you set it at. But to you, you can easily use TrueCrypt to mount it and access all your sensitive stuff. So if you have sensitive stuff like tax information, Um, you know, your parents' home insurance, if you're using that for your apartment, anything you wouldn't want falling into the public, I would would encourage you to encrypt it. Now, TrueCrypt has a really cool feature called hidden volumes. So when you're setting up a volume, you can actually set it up so that there's another hidden volume inside of the outside volume. And when you mount the outside volume, you can put one of two passwords in. You can put the original password in, which will mount the outside, and then you can put like fake files in there or something. Or you can put in the other password and it will open up the hidden volume, which is inside of it. The cool thing about the hidden volume, it is absolutely impossible to know if one exists or not. Because every TrueCrypt volume is filled with random data until you put real data into it. So it always looks like it's the same size. So this is like some spy level shit right here. So you get like, Picture this, you get like kidnapped by like espionaging terrorists or something. And they're like, give us the password to your account. You can give them the outside password and they will only have access to those fake files. They would have never even known the hidden one existed. Now, do you need to do this? 
probably not, but it's cool to do. And it's just an extra measure of security to make sure you're safe online. So we've gone through passwords, two-factor authentication, encryption. These are three things seem kind of boring, seem kind of geeky, but if you take the time to implement them into your life, you're going to be a lot safer. And if anyone ever tries to hack you, you're going to be glad that you took the time to set them up. So let's talk about a few other things to make sure you're being safe online. And the first one that comes to mind in my life is credit cards and basically just buying shit online. So actually about two weeks ago, my debit card number was stolen somehow. And somebody tried to purchase some like nail salon supplies in Tennessee, which thankfully my bank caught because I don't think I'm going to go out and buy nail salon supplies And I think after that, they actually tried to buy like an Xbox and they tried to buy an airline ticket. And luckily, none of that went through. But it taught me that I need to be secure with my online purchases, not just my passwords. So here's some quick tips to make sure that your identity doesn't get stolen and people don't try to buy a nail polish with your credit card. Number one, do not use your debit card online. There's a difference between a credit card that you get from a credit card issuer like capital one and your bank's rinky dink debit card which you could use as a credit card the difference is this when they use your debit card that money comes out of your bank account and if your bank doesn't catch it right away it's gone if you buy things with a credit card that you get from a credit card issuer like capital one you can dispute those charges and if they find that is um at you know somebody who's stolen your credit card they can easily get rid of those charges and you're in the clear. So if you don't have a credit card, get one, talk to your parents about it, figure out how to get one and use that for your online purchases rather than a debit card. It is much, much safer. Um, With your credit card, tip number two, you can actually set up alerts for when things are purchased. So with my newest credit card, I set up an alert so every time something is bought past a certain dollar amount, I get an email about it. So is it annoying to get an email about the sushi I just bought? Kind of, but I'm glad I have that protection there. So now I know anytime my credit card is used, I'm going to know about it right away. And that is just one step to making sure that you are keeping tabs on your financial health. Because if you, you know, get into a grind or you're studying for tests and you forget to check your credit card statements or forget to log into your online banking and check that out for a few days, you might not notice that charge and it might just go straight past you might not see it. So set up those alerts. Um, you can also set up mint.com. Mint.com is an awesome website for basically keeping track of your entire financial life. Every every ball that you keep juggling in the air can come into one small container, which is Mint. And Mint basically goes out and authenticates with all of your online bank accounts, your loan account, if you have any school loans, your credit card account, and... That way, it just updates and you constantly have a picture of what's going on in your financial life. So that stuff will keep you safer. And then the other tip I have is to keep your actual computer safe. Because if you get your computer compromised, then all of these precautions you're taking mean nothing. If somebody has access to your personal computer, then they can easily figure out everything about you. If you haven't heard about keyloggers, They're basically pieces of malware that can log every single keystroke and these days can also log mouse movements, 
They can log basically anything you do on your computer, which defeats every purpose because they basically know who you are and exactly what you're doing. So make sure you're installing antivirus on your computer, whether it is a Mac or a PC. On a PC, you can use Microsoft Security Essentials. It is free and it actually comes with Windows 8 and it's a pretty good tool. Just run a scan every once in a while and make sure you're safe. I actually also advocate using Adblock, which is a extension for Chrome and Firefox because a lot of times malware can be bundled in ads on shady sites. So if you're using an Adblock program like Adblock or Adblock Plus on Firefox, you don't even see those ads. So whatever's loaded onto them doesn't get the chance to be loaded on your computer if you stumble upon a site that's been affected. So that's a good tip. On the Mac, I believe you can get McAfee virus protection and there are also some other um, good antivirus programs which I can link to. Just make sure you're safe. So I think that is all that I have to talk about in the realm of online security. Hopefully you will listen to this. Hopefully you're still listening to me. And my biggest hope is that you will go out and apply these things so you are safe. Because I have done these and I feel much, much, much safer than I used to when my online security habits were bad. And I've gotten bit in the ass from it, as you heard about my debit card situation. So learn from my example. You know, you think it might not happen to you, but it can. Anyway. Thanks so much for listening to the third episode of the College of Boogie podcast. For the fourth episode, I've got an awesome interview coming up next week, so keep your ears peeled for that. If you like this episode, once again, leave me a review or rating in iTunes. I'd love to hear the feedback. Send this to a friend if you think their online security is bad. I know i got a lot of friends who have their own online security problems. So, yeah, thanks again, and have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.